Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, hey, Bettys. Welcome back to Geeky Magic. Just before we get started with our menstrual masterclass week three, I wanted to let you know that there has been a huge milestone that we have crossed here at the Better Podcast, and that is the one million download mark. And I just have to say it is due to Bettys like you who tune in week after week. And as a thank you from me to you, we are going to be giving away 10 copies of my book, The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones, and Transformative Sex. So if you would like to win a copy, or if you'd like to win a copy for a woman that you love, you can head over to Instagram and follow me at Dr. Stephanie Estima. Uh, it's dr.stephanie.estima, but if you look up my name, it'll come up. And tag your best Bettys in the comments, one per comment, and you can enter as many times as your sweetheart desires. And share this giveaway to your Instagram stories, and we're going to give you 10 bonus entries. So there's no purchase necessary. The contest is going to close on Monday, August 9th at 11.59 Eastern Standard Time. And this is open to North American Bettys only. I'm sorry, we can't do this for Europe or the rest of the world at this time. But winners are going to be selected at random and we're going to be notified. And I just have to say, I am so, so grateful that you listen to the Better Podcast each week, that you are finding value in the content that I'm creating. And, you know, data doesn't lie, even though I would like my data and feelings to be the same. Of course, they are not. And, you know, over a million downloads means that I am on the right track and I will continue to push through for you. So thank you so much. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right, so let's get back to our menstrual masterclass. And we are now in week three. And at this point, we are assuming that ovulation has happened. Now, ovulation typically happens about 
somewhere between 10 to 36 hours after we see a surge from luteinizing hormone. And luteinizing hormone is the hormone that surges just ahead of ovulation. And the reason why there's such a large gap, we have that 10 to 36 hour mark is because we don't actually know precisely where you are in that luteal surge, luteinizing hormone, pardon me, that luteinizing hormone phase. So once you release an egg, that's ovulation, depending on the health of the egg, it is only going to live for another four to 24 hours maximum. C'est tout. Okay. Four to 24 hours. So if you are looking to get pregnant, you have hours to make sure that the sperm hits the egg or maybe put a better way that the egg selects the sperm in the vicinity. Cause that's actually what happens. The sperm don't uh, actually penetrate. You know, it's not just a race to the finish. It's the egg that actually signals which sperm she wants like a queen. So your best chance of getting pregnant, if that's something that you are interested in, is making sure that your sperm or the sperm is already waiting kind of in and around the area, waiting for the big event to happen. So having sex at ovulation, of course, is important, but what is more important is getting your freak on before ovulation so that the sperm are there waiting because sperm can live for up to five days. How crazy is that? Like they pack a picnic, right? Like they pack, you know, pack some food for the long journey ahead. So I think that that's incredible. And of course, if you are looking not to get pregnant, then, you know, looking for alternative, uh, you know, themes and thematics for play around this fertile time. And I apologize. I still have my late night DJ voice. If you didn't tune into Monday's episode, um, I lost my voice last week. It is coming back now. And uh, this is what happens when I lose my voice. I think it moves down like one octave and uh, I have what I like to call the late night DJ voice. So, okay, on to the luteal phase. So once you ovulate, okay, so now the cells that were producing estrogen and testosterone, um, the granulosa and theca cells respectively, are going to now become something called lutein cells and they are going to start producing progesterone. This is a hormone that is unique to the luteal phase of the cycle. And of course, as a natural consequence, your progesterone starts to rise. Now, progesterone in week three only happens after ovulation and it will reach a peak. Uh, Progesterone will reach its peak about for, you know, assuming you have a 29 day cycle around somewhere between day 19 to 22. And this will drive up over the course of week three. It's going to drive up your core body temperature because that's what, that's one of the many effects that progesterone has. So while you know, when you see your temperature starting to rise or starting to spike, you know, if you are measuring your basal body temperature, for example, you have already ovulated. So if you are waiting for, you know, you to jump in, in bed with your significant other, um, and you're waiting for that temperature spike, you have already ovulated and you are already producing progesterone, which is another reason why we want to make sure that the sperm is sort of hanging around in the tubes a couple of days before you ovulate. And progesterone has 
many, 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 many effects. We're going to talk about some of the systemic effects that progesterone has in the body, but as it relates to your menstrual cycle, it is going to prime the endometrium for implantation, right? Because that's, you know, whether or not you want to get pregnant, that's the goal of your reproductive biology. So it is now going to um, increase, um, it is going to increase or priming the endometrium rather for implantation. And another thing to also consider a lot of my uh, patients that I've counseled or clients that I've counseled will describe a sort of pain that happens around ovulation. The technical term for it is Mittelsmerch, which is uh, of German um, derivative, meaning literally pain in the middle, Mittelsmerch, uh, pain in the middle, so pain at ovulation. And a lot of times women will reach for pain medication or NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories um, around this time. And this is a no-no in my opinion, because what you are feeling, that cramping that you are feeling is partially under control of something called prostaglandins. Now these play a critical role for implantation of a fertilized egg. Now, if you take these pain meds like the mydols or the ibuprofens or the acetylic acids, um, you are going to potentially augment, you're going to potentially attenuate the role of prostaglandins, right? You're, you're trying to relieve your cramping, but in doing so, you are going to reduce your ability uh, for implantation. So just a note there to, if, you, if you're able to ride it out, if you're able to just stay away from some of these pain medications that will reduce prostaglandin activity because you actually want those prostaglandins there to facilitate and assist with implantation. Now, because we are now in the second um, half of the cycle, the luteal phase, I want to also tell you that a normal healthy luteal phase is anywhere from 12 to 16 days. Anything under 12, we might classify as a luteal phase uh, defect. And this is going to affect the amount of progesterone that you have uh, that is made. And of course, it's going to affect implantation. Okay, so in week three, we have this initial drop in estrogen for a few days. This actually happens right before ovulation. And then towards the middle of week three, again, we start to see estrogen rise and stay elevated there for about another week. And so now you have this transient hormonal environment that actually looks a lot like week one of the cycle, right? We have low levels of estrogen in the beginning of the week with rising estrogen towards the end of the week. Now, of course, in week three, we don't have high levels of follicular stimulating hormone like we do in week one, because now that's being inhibited. And the, of course, the major difference again is going to be that rise in progesterone. So I want to talk a little bit about the wide ranging systemic global effects that progesterone has on the body. And a couple of interesting things to note for you, why progesterone is so important. First, um, if you are somebody who suffers from PMS-like symptoms, and that often is something like, you know, breast tenderness, it can be moodiness, it can be um, anxiety. One of the things that progesterone does is it helps to reduce 
breast tenderness, and it also helps to inhibit the formation of cysts. And this is because there are certain um, metabolites of estrogen um, production um, for my um, for my my Betty nerds. This is uh, the four hydroxy estrogen metabolite that have an, a certain affinity for the breast and it will down, uh, it will down regulate. It'll almost dampen the effect that this metabolite has on the breast and breast tenderness in general. Of course, um, it also prepares the breast for milk production if you're pregnant. Um, and when we think about um, this 4-hydroxyestrogen in particular, this estrogen metabolite, um, it is a proliferative um, um, metabolite, meaning that it will retain its ability to activate the estrogen receptor, which is what leads to that breast tenderness because you still have estrogen activating the receptor when it shouldn't be. And progesterone helps to prevent that as well as the onset of breast cancer by counteracting the effects of excess estrogen. So progesterone is really important when it comes to our breast health. Um, Of course, with the ovaries, I've already mentioned this, but it will help to shed the endometrial lining each month. Um, And of course, it helps to make the endometrial lining, a five-star hotel, right? Nice and thick and fluffy, lots of nutrients for that fertilized egg. In the vagina, the release of progesterone will cause um, small volumes of a thick cervical mucus to be secreted that is impenetrable, uh, impenetrable to sperm. This will um, protect the cervix from ascending infection at the time of implantation. But it also tells us that it is physiologically impossible to become pregnant after that four to 24 hour period that the egg is viable because now you are basically creating a plug or a cap that is impenetrable to, you know, ascending microorganisms, you know, viruses and bacteria and fungi and whatnot, but also to sperm as well. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. In terms of the brain, again, if you are someone who has a lot of anxiety or moodiness in the second half of your cycle, progesterone is going, it has the ability to bind to brain cell receptors and it will produce this antioxidant, like this more calming um, effect. It helps to bring down our anxiety because it activates neurotransmitters like GABA and it, interestingly, and this is something that I would see in the clinic a lot is it helps to also promote repair after a traumatic brain injury. So whenever I had women coming in with a concussion, 
I would ask them where in their menstrual cycle they were. And without a doubt, women who were injured in the follicular phase of their cycle, so weeks one or two, had better outcomes than my women who were injured in the luteal phase. And the reason for that is if you were injured in the follicular phase, you still had two full weeks coming to you, bathing your brain in progesterone. And this is what, you know, when we talk about promoting repair after injury, it does so by encouraging the growth and repair of the myelin sheath that protects the nerve fibers. Um, And it can also be involved in neurogenesis as well. So this is really, really important. So if you are someone who has had a concussion and and you are a woman, um, it might be interesting to go back and try to figure out where you were in your menstrual cycle when you were injured. And that will, that will affect your outcome because we, we want to be able to get that progesterone as quickly as we can to be bathing the brain so that you can benefit from them. Of course, any discussion about the body is not going to be complete if I don't talk about the musculoskeletal system. And of course, progesterone has a pivotal role in maintaining bone mass, right? So it does so by inhibiting these, these, uh, or I should say, it does so by this anti-resorptive measure. So it is going to impact the activity of what we call osteoclasts. I've talked about these on the pod before. It's going to promote... Um, well, I should say it's going to downregulate osteoclasts such that you get more of an osteoblastic um, to a higher osteoblastic to clastic ratio. And it has many other, you know, cardiovascular system, immune system, the kidneys, the liver, all of these things are really, really important. Um, and I hope that you can see how important progesterone is because we often think about it as progestation, pro-pregnancy hormone. And of course it is, but if you don't ovulate and your, or your progesterone, progesterone levels are too low, you are literally affecting almost every organ, every tissue, every, you know, every system in your body from your bones to your brain, to your breast, to your heart, to your vagina, your ovaries, all the places. Okay. So when we think about nutrition. So I've been breaking down this masterclass in sort of three different verticals. I'm kind of giving you the hormonal, the juicy bits, and then we're going to talk about nutritional considerations, movement considerations, and supplement uh, considerations as well. This is a beautiful time to return to a female-centric ketogenic diet like the Estima diet. Um, This would be a 70-20-10 split. Um, And we do this to honor the transient low estrogen levels initially in week three, and then of course helping to improve estrogen metabolism in general. And so the only difference between this week and week one, because in week one of our masterclass, we talked about the benefit of having a ketogenic diet is the addition of something called resistant starches or sometimes referred to as prebiotic fibers. These are a food source for your microbiome in the large intestine. And this is really important because 
this is the week, you know, if you've been doing keto for a couple of weeks, it's week three or four where I found most women started to sort of hop off the keto bandwagon saying like, I don't care. I am not doing this anymore. Like give me a bagel and a, and a slice of bread. And I'm going to put the bagel in between the slices of bread and I'm going to eat it because I need carbs. Right. Um, so you can really quell these cravings with the addition of resistant starches to your diet. So resistant starches are things like green bananas, green plantains, or their equivalents in powder. You can also have raw potato starch. You can also do cold rice or cold potatoes. Those are also really good sources of resistant starches as well. And the reason why resistant starches are so magical for women is they produce a short chain fatty acid called Butyrate. Now there are other SCFAs like acetate and propionate, but the benefits of butyrate are particularly well researched. One of the things that it does is it provides fuel for the cells of our gut lining. So it supports immune system function of the colon as well and protects against certain diseases of the digestive tract. And when we think about, you know, the main fuel for the cells that line our gut, these are known as uh, colonocytes, they provide up to 90% of their energetic requirements. So butyrate is going to help these cells obviously fulfill their functions correctly to be able to be able to produce ATP and to maintain the integrity of the gut lining, which is uh, referred to as the, as the mucosa. And of course, impaired, there's been many studies that have looked at the relationship between impaired butyrate metabolism with mucosal damage and inflammation when patients with inflammatory bowel diseases, including ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. So butyrate is an incredibly important, um, incredibly important compound. And it's also, you know, the, the actions of butyrate have also been, um, is also being looked at to as a role in preventing colorectal cancer and inflammation, reducing inflammation capacity of the gut. And of course it creates an environment that allows the microbiome to exist within humans without stimulating this acute immune response. The other really cool thing that butyrate does, I, I could talk about butyrate forever, but it promotes the growth of villi, these microscopic, they're like uh, fingers, they're like little finger-like, you know, extrusions that help line the intestine and it enhances the production of mucin, which is basically a, um, it's like a gel-like substance and it coats, it's like a inner lining, like an in, it coats the inside of the lumen. And this is how... Um, we actually, we have something in our um, immune system or the helping maintain the integrity of the bowel wall known as the epithelial defense barrier. And that will pr protect us or prevent um, aggressive or opportunistic bacteria and toxins and other substances from crossing from the gut into the bloodstream. So maintaining the integrity of this mucosin is really, really important and butyrate helps to promote that. And then lastly, uh, it's been shown to help uh, the cold, like the large intestine absorb electrolytes, obviously essential for many physiological functions, uh, including just like axon depolarization, like you need them to, in order for your nerves to, uh, your nerves to function. Um, but also 
you know, preventing things like certain types of diarrhea, butyrate, you know, regulates colonic motility and the natural, like these are basically just like natural movements of the gut that move the food through it. And of course, um, to eventually help with its excretion. So bottom line is I love butyrate. (laughs) Okay. It's, you know, it's, it's a short chain fatty acid. It's produced when you consume resistant starches. It contributes in preventing colorectal cancer. It supports the villi, as I mentioned, and the mucin production. Um, Really, really important for a fuel source for the gut lining. Like it's so great. I'm not even getting into, you know, the cravings that it attenuates, the sleep that it promotes, like all the great things. So Keto this week, for sure, with the addition of resistant starches. And I outline this in detail in the Estima diet. So if you want to check out a little bit more about that, you can head over to hellobetty.club and you'll find not only our annual membership, but you'll also find the standalone product, the Estima diet, if you're interested in trying it. With respect to fasting, um, this is where it really depends on the on the person. So if you are someone who tends to run estrogen dominant, you want to be thinking about obviously improving your estrogen metabolism and your elimination of it's like use it and then lose it. And that means gut integrity. So obviously the resistance starches are going to be important for you, but in the context of fasting, I tend to with the with that type of population, I tend to do more soups and broths, like a bone broth fast. Um, if there is, um, a longer fast, a maximum of like 24 hour fast for, um, for women this week. And then of course you can pepper it with other intermittent fasts through the, you know, through the week as well. So like one 24 hour, if you're up for it. And then, you know, I like to let you choose what other kind of fast you like to do, whether it's a 12, 12 or 10, 14 or a 16, eight, uh, whatever feels good. I, I find I can, easily punch out a a 1014 or a 168. Um, it really depends on the amount of stress levels that I have, uh, what my sleep is like. Um, have I lost my voice? (laughs) Uh, certainly, um, I know that, um, I will not be fasting for a long time um, this month, this cycle, because I've have I've had basically no voice, uh, which I know has been a stress to my body. So I just want to honor, as I hear my voice cracking a little bit like a teenage boy <laughs> as I'm talking. Um, so yeah, so it's really going to depend on your monthly, uh, you know, what's going on for you that month. Now, if you're someone who is androgen dominant, we want to be, of course, driving towards better insulin regulation. So you can actually afford to do more of those more like aggressive fasts, like more of those what I call non-caloric liquid fasts uh, with one or more 24 hour fast through the week, you know, depending on your fasting tolerance, the severity of your symptoms, again, your stress levels that week, all of that. So let's move on to movement. And we're, we're going to start with resistance training because that's where I think every woman should be designing her program with resistance training first, and then all other things happen after that. So returning again to this like eight to 12 rep range. So moderate weight to accommodate the change in estrogen levels, right? They're low in the beginning of week three, and then they rise towards the end of week three, just like they do in week one. So I would probably be closer to 12 reps in the beginning of the week. So slightly lighter in the weight. And then as estrogen is rising, again, anabolic hormone, and we've discussed its effects on our tendons and ligaments, 
um, I would be closer to eight reps by the end of the week. Now, estrogen doesn't have this meteoric rise like it does in week two. So in terms of cardio, it, you can kind of choose whatever you like here. Um, I say like no more than two HIIT training sessions per week. Um, and then I really like steady state like three to four times a week. But I, that's my sort of personal preference if you're doing, if you're doing cardio at all. Um, but I would say definitely choose whatever steady state um, you like. You can either, either alternate between steady state or HIIT. So sort of it's like an a la carte menu for you this week for your cardio selection. And I didn't mention supplements. We'll talk about supplements as well. Um, this week, I definitely want to be changing the supplementation. So we were talking last week about magnesium being about 400 uh, milligrams daily. I would up it to at least 600, at least if she can tolerate it. And maybe even more, you know, so I've pushed, um, I have certain clients that I'll, I'll try to push up to about 800 milligrams if I suspect that they are magnesium deficient, if they have a lot of uh, PMS type of symptoms. Uh, and there's a couple of other qualifiers that will help me determine whether or not I can increase magnesium that high. But typically I'll kind of push it toward until I start to see any GI symptoms like loose stools or cramping. And then you can, you can bring it back. You can pull it in a little tighter from there. Um, I also like berberine. I think that this is a powerful glucose regulator. Uh, taking berberine 20 to 30 minutes before a meal can really help the postprandial glucose response. So somewhere between, you know, it's going to vary, but um, you know, on the person and on the, on their size and on their age, but somewhere between 300 to 500 milligrams, 20 to 30 minutes before meal can really help. And this is, you know, we are in the luteal phase now. So we are starting to become a bit more insulin, uh, resistant. So this is going to help, uh, improve our insulin sensitivity somewhat. If she's complaining of inflammation, I would also be adding in some curcumin at one to up to three grams daily and omega-3s I would keep consistent. And you'll notice that I don't have a lot of supplements. Um, a lot of people say, well, what about DIM and what about Vitex? And, and there, those have a time and a place if there is, you know, hormonal derangement. But I could be here all day talking about all the different, you know, protocols and um, recommendations that I have based on those. But these are like a really strong foundation for any woman, irrespective of her age, making sure she has consistent omega-3s, like two grams daily, making sure that... Um, she's upping her magnesium slightly, um, at least up to 600 milligrams. And of course, if you are complaining or if you have, um, not complaining, that's the, that's, that's actually the wrong word. We use that when we're talking about patients. What's the patient's primary complaint? You're not complaining in the, in the pejorative sense where, you know, we're like, Oh God, our patients are complaining, but this is the primary issue. But if you're, if you have a complaint of inflammation, like you feel that you are inflamed then the curcumin one to three grams daily would be appropriate. And then I would also start in adding in berberine as well. All right. I think that that is 
about the maximum that my voice can take. I can hear it cracking a little bit more as I continue to talk. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this week three in our menstrual masterclass series. Next week, we're wrapping it up with week four. I'm really, really excited. Week four is such a special week. Um, So we're going to be talking about the movement considerations, the hormonal environment, of course, the nutrition and fasting, and the emotional health of a woman Uh, as well during this time. So I wish you and I bid you a wonderful day and I bid you adieu and we'll see you very soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you.